0: Alright, I've literally published the last episode now. So maybe we can pretend this is a weekly show. (laughs)
1: Hell yeah! Woo! Go on. The Super Peel Out where everything's made up and the canon doesn't matter. That's right. The canon is just like us sticking to Sonic Topics.
0: (laughs) Woo! Woo! You, uh, kind of flubbed it there. It's supposed to be where, uh, where hedgehogs go fart. But you know what? It's fine. It's
1: fine. Did I say where everything's made up? Yes! Welcome to to Super Peel Out, where hedgehogs go fast and the cannon doesn't matter. That's why the cannon is just like me staying consistent. Woo! That's
0: (laughs) what. Let's do another
1: take. (laughs) You should just put all of those takes in. Just literally that entire conversation. Just said it wrong. Wait.
0: Anyway, today we're talking about what are we talking about?
1: Hold on, we're talking about Yuji Naka.
0: Yuji Naka and Naoto Oshima, who are both known
1: Ballin as being Wonderworld.
0: A, a Balan Wonderworld, and uh yeah, who are both two of the big fathers of Sonic.
1: So it is still having to do with Sonic. A little bit. We're not off topic, we promise. <laughs> everything has to do with Sonic. We can make everything about Sonic in a roundabout way. Our lads, Yuji Naka and Naoto Oshima. and the row of people behind Sonic, right? Who's the current guy, Izuka? What's his first name? Yeah, the Sonic Forces guy. He's been working on Sonic games pretty much post-Sonic 06. Because Yuji Naka pretty much dipped to make his own company. Especially with this new Battle Wonder Wonderworld demo. Not necessarily has anything to say about Naoto Oshima, because Naoto Oshima isn't necessarily a game developer or game designer. He's an artist. He's just a character designer. He designed Sonic. He designed Knights. Uh, He designed the Blinks of the Time Sweeper. He's a pretty decent character designer. I do like his designs. I especially like the design of Balan in Balan Wonderworld. But the thing is, is like... The thing I don't like about Balan's design is is his weird grin. He's got this goofy smile most of the time, and I don't know, I don't think it necessarily works with the rest of his design, but everything else is on point. And the villain in Bell Wonder Wonderworld, I forgot his name, but the villain also has a really cool design. Out of everyone that Naoto Oshima has designed, I feel like his weakest designs are in Blinks the Time Sweeper, just because... God, that game sucked.
0: Really? I never had a, an Xbox but I always wanted to play Blinks.
1: Well, as someone that pretty recently played both of them, if you're really, really, really curious, make sure your copy of Blinks says Platinum Hits on the case, because that has an update. It's a later revision of the game that, like, changes a lot and makes the game hell of a lot easier. Because Blinks 1... Is fiendishly difficult. I played the original release not knowing that there was a freaking revision. And it's... I'm not going to say it was agonizing. Well, no, it was agonizing. Because the point of Blinks is you're a cat and you have time powers. You have pause, which stops everything except for you. So you can just pause things. Slow which slows everything down except for you. Fast Forward, which makes everything including you move fast. It's kind of... Fast Forward's pretty much the most pointless power-up out of all of them just because there's not really any point in going fast if everything else goes fast. Then there's Rewind, which kind of rewinds everything else except for you. And record, which makes like a decoy of you that you make it do a certain thing, like push down the lever and then it rolls back to when you used it. And then the decoy does its thing and then you can do something. So like if there's like a switch on the other end of a door, you use record, you record yourself going to the switch and pushing it down and holding that button down. And then it goes back, and then you can actually stand in front of the door or whatever, while the other you that you recorded pushes down the lever and, and it opens the door for you. Hmm. There's some, like, cool puzzles that could be used with that. Uh, but the aim of the game in Blinks is, in order to clear the levels, you need to kill every enemy. It's kind of like Sonic 3D Blast in that sort of respect. And that you need to have every enemy in the level destroyed before you can get to the goal. Problem is, Blinks is not a very mobile character. He's he runs. His run speed is so freaking slow. Dodging is really hard. There's also like a weird flick jump you can do, which doesn't feel natural. As well as, like, this, yeah, there's, like, these weird, like, backflips you can also do that don't feel natural. That you can't control when you do, too. You're stuck in the animation, so if you accidentally backflip off a frickin' ledge, goodbye. And the other frustrating thing about Blinks is that you only have one hit point. Blinks can only take one hit before he dies. To counteract that, there's the retry system, which functions as Blinks' hit points. where. If you get hit, you use a retry, which rewinds the whole game back to right before you took your hit and died. Which sounds like, oh, alright, that's kind of unique, but the problem about that mechanic is usually it just, like, you usually get hit by something, and then it rewinds you to right before you get hit by it, and then you just get hit by it again. And then you just kind of get trapped and then die and then lose, which sucks. And usually, whenever you use the time powers, the less to, like, solve puzzles and more to sort of just survive, and just not die. Like, whenever you get swarmed with enemies, you're just like, oh, please, I hope I have a pause, or I hope I have a slow, or I hope I have anything. Oh, yeah, and there's a really fun mechanic where every enemy that you kill drops these little icons. They drop these little, like, random assortments of icons, and each icon refers to... Each of your five time power-ups. You can only have a limited amount of time power-ups. And in order to get more, you need to collect at least three icons of that color out of, like, four. And if you don't, then it's a bad matchup and you get nothing. If you get all four of the icons as your time power, then you get two of the time powers as opposed to getting one. It's really complicated to understand, but it makes a lot of sense. It's dumb. It's overcomplicated. That's kind of the problem about Blinks. He's really slow and hard to control, the levels are really long and hard, and the mechanics are sort of more complicated for what they're worth. But I will say that the the level design and the music is good.
0: As expected. So, it seems like it's more of a puzzle game.
1: Kind of. You would, like, you would think it's more of a puzzle game, but like you have to kill everything. So there are action segments that are unavoidable. It's just weird. It's its own weird thing. And then there was the sequel, which I actually played like last month. And talk about the definition of overcorrection. Because when I was playing it, first of all, they got rid of the stupid collect the icons and match them up to get the power-up system. They got rid of that, thank God. It got rid of the stupid jump. They made blinks a little bit faster. Um, They added a little bit more mechanical depth to everything. But they fixed the problems. They pretty much took every complaint I had about the first game and really addressed it. They made it a lot easier, both to control and just in difficulty. As well as they also added the fact that you can now play as the villains. You can play as the villain gang. These pig guys called the Tom Toms. And also in Blinks 2, you can create your own OCs for both your pig guy and your cat guy, which are cool. And you can make them look really stupid. It's incredible. The characters I made are... I made some really stupid-looking guys, and it was really funny because the game. let you do it! But the problem is, in trying to make sure that Blinks 2 was super easy, they kind of overcorrected and made it... I don't want to say too easy... It's less too easy and more too hand-holdy. You have to do a tutorial before you do any level. There's like five levels for each character. The good guys and the bad guys. And before you do any of the next level, you have to do another tutorial that tells you a very easy-to-understand mechanic. And before you can just get on with it. And as you play through each of those levels, the game constantly, constantly bombards you with a this is your radio buddy blinks you need to freaking get the time power and free the use the switch over and it's just like i got it or usually like they just like the whole game stops just so they can be like you did it you you hit the switch good job go to the next area over like something you were gonna do anyways breaks the pacing a lot With that, and then also just the overall easier difficulty for everything sort of makes it so that the game's just a little bit more boring to play, and it's weird. Each Blinks game has their own unique problems, and neither of them are games I could wholeheartedly recommend, but they do exist. They at least exist in the fact that they were Microsoft trying to, you know, make a sort of more kid-friendly game on the Xbox which was mostly known as the Master Chief machine and Shooter and Car Game machine, and now it still is just the Shooter and Car Game machine. Yeah, Naoto Oshima, he was working on Blinks. What else did he work on? I know that both Yuji Naka and Naoto Oshima worked on a lot of the Street Pass DLC games for the 3DS.
0: Yeah!
1: Yeah, they worked on some of them. Naoto Oshima, what did he work on between Blinks and Sonic? Or not, between Blinks and...
0: Oh! Oh no!
1: That's just sad. Uh-huh. Because, yeah, uh, Naoto Oshima made his own company called R-Tune, which were the guys that made Blinks and whatever game studio. And they they made Club Penguin Game Day! Woo! What? What the hell? Okay, well, wait, yeah, because, well, yeah, okay, because Naoto Oshima left in 2010, so did Naoto Oshima really work on freaking Club Penguin in Flink Wait, did he? No, he didn't. He worked on Fling Smash, though. Very cool. Mm-hmm. He worked on both Yoshi's Island remakes. Yoshi's Island, well, I guess not really a remake, yeah. Uh... He, uh, he worked on Yoshi's Island DS, Yoshi Topsy Turvy, and Yoshi's New Island. Which we don't talk Barry, about. And he also worked on- Wow. This poor man. And then he also was the producer for Hey Pikmin! Cool. Naoto Oshima. How did the man that literally designed Sonic become the producer of Hey Pikmin? That's just kind of sad, if anything.
0: So I guess a quick explanatory aside. As we've discussed before, when Naoto Oshiba designed Sonic the Hedgehog... And Yuji Naka is known as sort of like the father of Sonic. How was he involved?
1: How was Yuji Naka involved?
0: Was he on the programming team or something?
1: Yuji Naka. Okay, because Naoto Oshima was the dude that designed Sonic. He was the artist. He was the character designer for Sonic. Sonic and Eggman were designed by him. Not sure if Tails and Knuckles. I know Amy and and Metal Sonic were not. They were done by someone else. But he was the original character designer for Sonic in the game. Yuji Naka, on the other hand, he's mostly known as the father of Sonic, not because he really created Sonic. He didn't design him. Again, that's Oshima's work. Yuji Naka was the main programmer behind Sonic, because Yuji Naka was a very prolific programmer for Sega at the time before he made sonic he made and programmed fantasy star which is kind of a big deal he was the one that did the entire first person full screen pseudo 3d dungeon crawling sections on the master system so he was a very good programmer and i think he was going he was working on a physics based platformer and then that's kind of ...how Sonic came to be gameplay-wise. He's really the guy that invented the gameplay of Sonic. was Yuji Naka and his programming wizardry. The thing is, Yuji Naka, for a very long time, the man has been pretty tired of the Hedgehog. Honestly, you could go back all the way to Yuji Naka being fed up with Sega right after Sonic 1... Because Yuji Naka didn't want to work at Sega anymore after Sonic 1. He was actually about to leave Sega of Japan until some lads at Sega of America saw him leaving and went like, uh, we can't have this man leave our company. So they offered to move Yuji Naka from Sega of Japan to Sega of America and work in San Francisco. And he accepted, and that's how Sonic 2 was being developed, with Yuji Naka and his guys working in the same studio as Sega Technical Institute in America, which is Sega's American division. So Sonic 2 is actually a very historic game in that sense, because it's really one of the first times a video game was worked on hand-in-hand by Western and Eastern developers. However, you can always tell that Yuji Naka really got tired of Sonic, because he produced the main series games, but he also liked producing, and I feel like he put more heart and effort into the non-Sonic titles he developed at the time. He developed and produced Nights in the Dreams, and Burning Rangers, and Choo Choo Rocket, and Sama de Amigo, and produced Fantasy Star Online 1. I don't think he did Fantasy Star Online 2, because that was way after he freaking left. And Fantasy Star Universe, and the beginning of Modern Poyo. Because Poyo Poyo was also done by Sonic Team. Or Poyo Pop. The Fever games. The Fever games were done by Sonic Team. Not not the ones before that. Those were done by Compile. And then 2006. His last game he was credited on from Sega I think was Sonic 06. Which, what a way to go out. He's like, I'm done. I want to make my own studio. And he did. Called Prope. And Prope made a bunch of iOS games. They made Ivy the Kiwi. They made Street Pass Mansion and Street Pass Fishing. Very cool. And I do remember, yeah, one of the big titles that was like, this is by Yuji Naka, was uh, Rodea the Sky Soldier on the Wii and the, well, I guess the Wii version is the only one that he actually worked on, the Wii U and 3DS version it was not him. I played Rodea the Sky Soldier on the Wii. It was all right. But you could always tell that the man was tired of frickin' Sonic. He wanted to make something else. So that's what he's doing with Bell in Wonderworld. But this new demo that we got of Bell in Wonderworld, you really can see, or at least I can finally, with all of these years of playing Sonic, or just playing games that were made by Yuji Naka, because I also love Nights in the Dreams. Nights in the Dreams of my favorite games of all time, and that was done by Yuji Naka. You can really see this man's approach to game design. And that is that Yuji Naka, with his games that he produces and directs, he really enjoys having his games have deep aspects that are, I guess the way for me to truly describe it would be like, it would be a simple main story. It would be a simple main game, right? But usually with either some sort of side content or some, like some sort of side mechanic that the game doesn't tell you everything about for you to experiment with. I can't really say anything like this happened in his earliest works, in his Sonic 1 through Sonic 3 Sonic and Sonic Knuckles works, because really those were focused games, more focused on 2D platforming. But you could still kind of see it in the fact that Yuji Naka wants you to explore his games, whether that be actually in-game or, like, actually just learning about what each thing in the game does if the game doesn't tell you it. And I guess maybe you could use the, open, the open-ended level design of Sonic as an example or just the experimental physics platforming as a way to describe it. I feel like it really reached its peak in Nights in the Dreams, because... Have you played Nights in the Dreams?
0: Uh, I don't think so. I played the, uh, GBA version.
1: Okay. That doesn't really count, but okay. I would recommend it. It's on Steam. Yeah, and we, although could, there...
0: we could do a whole episode on Nights and all of the different cameos that Nights has had and stuff. Yeah,
1: yeah. Freaking Nights Hotel and Sonic Pinball Party Nights and... Knights have pretty much been everywhere, yeah. And I would highly suggest, I would highly recommend playing Nights in the Dream. I not know if there's a lot of knights purists that only recommend, like, saying the only way to go is to play the Sega Saturn version with the Sega Saturn 3D controller. But personally, I think you can totally, saying that the remake has some bad control-like things, it doesn't control as well, I personally don't get that. I thought that the remake played perfectly fine. So I would recommend, if it ever goes on sale, I think Sega was giving it away for free at one point on Steam, but I'd highly recommend giving it a try whenever you can, because it's a very interesting, unique game. But the thing is, what I'm going to get at here, is there is one problem, and you would know this problem if you've played Nights, is that the very first time you play Nights in the Dreams, the very first time, Pretty much everyone's first time playing Knights is like this. Because it was like my first time. And it was like many other people's first time. You play it. You go into a level. You have no idea what the hell is going on. Some guys just stole a bunch of balls from you. And now you're getting an arrow pointing to go to Knights. You go to Knights. You, so you run to a, a Knights in a 3D perspective. And then you touch Knights. Become Knights. And now you're flying in a 2.5D perspective. And you're, like, running into things and collecting things, but you don't know what any of it does or means. And you're collecting all these balls, and there's, like, this big jellyfish-looking thing, and there are these things attacking you, and there's a timer going off. You don't know what the hell any of that means. So you're just like, okay, this play's cool. It looks cool. It sounds cool, but I don't know what I'm doing. I don't get it. It's way too abstract. And then you either give up then and be like, all right, well, I don't get it. Next. Play something else. Or you at least look at, like, the manual, or, like, the help, or a tutorial, or something. At least you look up, what do you do in nights on Google. And then you find out you need to collect, like, 20 balls, uh, 20 blue orbs, I believe they're called blue chips. And then you need to bring it to the jellyfish-looking thing to break it open, and then bring it back to the starting point. And then you do that over and over again until the boss shows up, and then you kill the boss, and then you the level's done. And then you do that over and over again for each of the eight levels. I think there's actually nine.
0: Well, it's based around Uh, dreams, isn't it? So it's supposed to be sort of abstract.
1: It is. No, yeah, it absolutely is. But the thing is, is that ideally you would hope that the game would tell the player how to play it before just kind of throwing them into the freaking dogs, you know? Just throw them in to not understand what the hell is happening uh, and have to usually look it up and find something. And that's not even scratching the surface because Knights also... Besides that, once you do learn how to actually play the game, then it's, like, great, cool. However, there are other aspects of Nights in the Dreams. The the rabbit hole just gets deeper from there. Because then you learn, like, oh, well, why am I scoring so low? Oh, I'm supposed to get the break the thing open as fast as possible and then just keep doing bonus laps until the very last second of the timer runs out. And then that's how you score high. But that's, like... Not even, that's not even the deepest part of Nights, because there's also the knights A-Life system, which is sort of the experimental version of Yuji Naka wanting to create, Yuji Naka also has a weird thing for raising simulators, raising simulations. He loves making you raise things, and so basically... How I don't know entirely because honestly, I don't think anyone knows entirely how the A-Life system at Nights works. Because, like I said, game doesn't say anything. The manual, only the Japanese manual has one page on the A-Life system, and it mostly just says, There are these guys, you could make them happy or sad. Your actions in the levels determine that. And it's like, okay, that doesn't help. But basically, of what I have read on the internet from other very confused people like me, the A-Life works by their, these random little NPC sprite things called uh, Nitopians that fly around and they just vibe. They just vibe there. If two Nitopians run into each other, just their AI just bumps into each other, then they mate and they make an egg. Knights can open the egg to make more Nitopians, And the more Nitopians, like, the happier they are and... The musical changed depending on their mood. There's like, different remixes of all the level themes. But also, whenever, she, like, some some dude with way too much time on their hands discovered that if you kill an enemy, it turns into a ball, and if that ball bumps into a Nytopian, it fuses with them, and it creates, like, this, like, like, evolved form, like this fusion guy. I forgot their official name, but it's, it's like, these fusion guys. And so these fusion guys uh they're fused with an enemy are like the next form of nitopian and if you get two fusion guys and have them breed, they make like a king, and then that king will go to a random point on the map I don't think it's a random point, but it'll go to some random part of the map and start building a tower and I don't even know what any of this does this just whole entirely optional just this weird side crap game doesn't tell you about. You, how people even figure this out, I don't know. And I do think that you can figure out your Nitopian, like the status on your Nitopian. Not even in the actual game, you need the freaking Christmas Nights disc that actually will read your a life save file and tell you like who's in what level and like the overall happiness level of each freaking level. And it's just this giant, confusing mess, and this whole part of the game that. 99% of players literally don't know about and didn't care about. So
0: what does it do? Nothing. <laughs> so it's just absolutely, like a visual development
1: absolutely of it Nothing. Of it? it the real things that the A Life does is the happier your A Life, the like you get, like I said, there's like a there's like a happy mix and a sad mix of each song in uh knights in the dreams it just changes like i guess yeah i think it might change the visuals a little bit and like i said they build a they build a freaking tower so there's gonna be a tower in the level now if you actually make the king i tried breeding nitopians while playing knights and it's extremely hard to actually get the stupid guys to mate because they're just they just vibe they do nothing you can't really make them do anything they just kind of do it on their own it's just weird right And then you see later on, I played through Burning Rangers, and Burning Rangers and, like, Choo Choo Rocket and Sama the Amigo are pretty... They don't really have any, like, weird, complex things going on in them. Choo Choo Rock's a pretty by-the-numbers puzzle game, but as a a party game, Choo Choo Rocket's dope. And uh, Sama the Amigo's a pretty by-the-numbers rhythm game, if anything, a bit quirky because of the maraca controllers. But then we go to Sonic Adventure, and Sonic Adventure 2. And you definitely see Yuji Naka at it again. Because not only do we have the main Sonic platforming that we know and love, but we also have Yuji Naka exploring all these other different random genres and types with, you know, the fishing with Big and the shooting with Gamma and the emerald hunting. Just all these different, just spitballing all these cool ideas. But then you see Yuji Naka do it again with frickin' Chow, <laughs> Because the Chow Garden is basically an expanded version of the A-Life system from Night. Except given its own separate area. Instead of it being in the actual game levels. As well as it being in a game. And be- it being understandable enough that people actually like care about it. Because realistically the Sonic Adventure games don't tell you crap about Chao. They just say, okay here's your Chao. It has stats. If you give it animals the stats go up. You can race them. Which, yeah that's. Pretty base level like knowledge, but there is so much the chow the chow hole goes so much deeper because there are evolution types, there are secondary evolution types there's the chaos chow there's alignment there's alignment with the evolution types. There's a freaking different colors or different two tones. You can breed a red chow and a blue chow and make a two tone blue red chow. You can make a you can get a shiny chow with another like non chow and get another like and then breed them and then make like a shiny monotone two tone transparent like different eyed chow, right? And then there's stats you can breed for stats and get an old S rank stat chow. The game doesn't tell you any of that. It's all up to the fans to really delve into it and really get the meat potatoes. I was a huge Chow kid at mm-hmm. the time. I loved I loved freaking, I have like 300 hours in Sonic Adventure 2 because of Chow. So I uh, bet you have an
0: all S rank. I bet you have an all S rank Chow then.
1: I do not. I actually didn't do that. I made I made, uh, me and my brother we got Chaos Chows and then I think we made one of each Chaos Chow and then we kind of called that a day because to get a chaos chow the game doesn't tell you this to get a chaos chow you need to have a chow reincarnate three times and then on its third reincarnation before it evolves you need to give it one of every animal and then it will evolve into a chaos chow in its third life in which it will be immortal
0: so yeah the, you need a whole strategy guide to think about stuff like what do the animals do what do their chaos tribes do yes why is my chow dying
1: Yes, exactly. The game doesn't tell you any of that. There are also two entirely separate stats for Chow: luck and intelligence that you can't change. They're just given to your Chow. You can't see it, but it does affect how they perform in the uh, the races and the fights in Sonic Adventure 2 Battle. There's Jewel Chow. There's the Moon Chow, which is the rare Dreamcast exclusive Chow that wasn't in any of the GameCube games. There are the character Chows, there's the Knuckles Chow, the Amy Chow, the Tails Chow. There's so much stuff for you to just kind of learn. That's why I think Sonic Adventures 1 and 2 are particularly well regarded. Is because when it comes to those two games, you either like play it and just like, okay, that was cool. Basically, like, there's either one of three camps that you fall into when it comes to Sonic Adventure 1 and 2. And that is, you either, A, played it, like, once and went, like, eh, that was a game. And you not re- didn't really think of it, and really, one way or the other. B, you think, like, you played it once and you're j- you heard people say a bunch of good things about it. You played it once and you were just like, that was disappointing. It's super glitchy. What the hell is all this? I don't care about any of this crap. I don't want to do anything. En- God, you want me to 100%? You want me to get all the emblems? Hell no. Or three, you have the people like me that just, for some reason while they were playing it, something just clicked and they're like, I want to know everything about this game. And they're like, I want to explore everything about it. I want to do all that stuff. I want to get all the emblems. I didn't actually 100% Sonic Adventure 2, but I did 100% no, Sonic Adventure I 1. I did not get all the emblems either.
0: Never.
1: But I definitely, like I said, I have 300 hours in Sonic Adventure 2. So much. I played the crap out of that game. Did you And that's play- because it? The Chow Garden mod. Uh, in the, uh, the PC version? Yes. Uh, I've heard about it, I'm interested in it. There's a lot of cool things about it, but I don't think it really shakes the game up enough for me to really, like, super go back to getting into the whole Chow gang. Especially because nowadays on PC, if I really want to make a custom chow, I just make get, like, rev up a chow editor for the PC version and just, like, inject some steroid fueled crazy god chow. Which is funny because if you make a chow that, if you make a broken chow in the chow editor, you literally can't win some of the raises because it'll fly over the finish line. <laughs> um,. Yeah, it literally will just go that fast. And then, later on, before Sonic 06, because obviously Sonic Heroes and Shadow the Hedgehog and Sonic Rush, Sonic Advance Games. Well, Sonic Advance Games saw the Chao Garden.
0: Yeah, I forgot to mention, yeah, all the crossovers with Sonic Advance for the Chao Garden. You needed to yeah. connect it to Fantasy Star Online to get the Tails Chao.
1: Yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. But the last, like, real Yuji Naka-y Yuji Naka game that he made while at Sega was Billy Hatcher and the Giant Egg. Yes! And while that game definitely didn't, it definitely didn't have Chow levels of craziness going on with it. It definitely, there was still that theme of exploration and exploring the unknown, whether it be mechanically or in the actual 3D game world. With Billy Hatcher and the Giant Thing. Because there are so many different eggs. And every egg has something different in it. So every time you like. Fill up and max out an egg. Uh, you freaking hatch it. And then oh look. There's like an easter egg in here. Oh look there's a downloadable Game Boy game in here. Oh look there's an upgrade. There's a hat in here that I can use. And you usually doesn't even tell you what it does. You just usually have to experiment. Like oh okay. Now the X is my uh, animal friend button. And oh look, I got this penguin-looking dude. Uh what does this guy do? Because the game doesn't tell you. So you do it and it's like, okay, it's like a like a penguin, you'll know, like launch at them with like an ice attack. That's cool. Uh or like you just kind of learn, you learn by doing rather than by having the game tell you, which is a very Yuji Naka-e game design. And if the game if you don't know what happened, then you usually have to look it up. That's kind of like. Yuji Naka's whole approach to game design is kind of like how people try to like talk about a game for things that they don't properly get so that they can understand the deeper parts of it um, from other people. But the problem is about that entire game design philosophy is that assumes that the people playing your games are already invested enough in your game to want to learn everything about it, right? Which brings us to right now with Balan Wonderworld.
0: And Balan is like the first announcement from Yuji Naka in several years, isn't it? If Billy had to. Yeah, the it's one. the
1: first one. It's the first real announcement from Yuji Naka since uh, Rodea the Sky Soldier. Because he made Rodea the Sky Soldier and then he dropped out of the, his own company that he created and went to go work at Square Enix. Which it's a fitting place for him to work because, you know, he's kind of started his entire career on Fantasy Star and he was kind of a key player in Fantasy Star Online and Fantasy Star Universe. So, for him to work at an RPG-dominant company makes sense. However, here's the thing about Balan Wonderworld, and why it is definitely a Yuji game through and through. Because, essentially, of what I've heard, Square Enix basically gave Yuji enough money to make his own subdivision in Square Enix, which is Balan Company, and I think they gave, they're giving him one chance. They're giving him one chance to make his own unique game for Square Enix. And if it does well, he might make more. If it doesn't, he'll probably be relegated to just help work on Final Fantasy stuff. Or whatever it is that Square Enix is working on. He'll probably just work on other projects at Square Enix. So, as his one chance, he's making Bell Wonder Wonderworld, which is a platformer. It's weird, though, because it looks like a kind of culmination... Of everything he's done in the 3D space up till now. Because it has the aesthetic of Knight. Aesthetically, Bell and Wonderworld looks like a Knight's like spiritual successor. But it does not play anything at all like Knight's. The gameplay is not like Sonic. It, it, if anything, it is more like Billy Hatcher in the sort of pacing of everything. Basically, how Bell and Wonderworld works is you play as a kid... The kid goes into this theater, and in this theater, it's like the Balan Theater, and he enters the Balan world or whatever. Basically, how the the main gameplay loop of it is you run around through these levels, you collect these costumes that work as basically additions to your moveset, but you can only have three costumes. The thing that I feel sort of rubbed everyone the wrong way about Balan Wonderworld is the fact that it is a one-button video game. You use the stick to move. L1 and R1 to swap between your costumes. Every other button is jump. All four face buttons, L2 and R2, are jump or your costume ability. Which I feel rubbed everyone the wrong way because they're like, Oh god, it's oversimple. There's gonna be no depth. Oh god. And I was like that too at the beginning. I'm like, oh boy. I really hope this doesn't suck. Because I really don't I really hope it doesn't suck. I really hope Yuji Naka can keep making his own unique games, because I like his games. I'm really rooting for Battle of Wonderworld. I don't know if I'm going to buy it at launch, not because I don't want to support Yuji Naka, but mostly because I don't want to spend $60 on any video game right now. But I'll definitely get it eventually. So, basically, you have costumes, and each costume replaces your jump with a power, right? Whether it be, like, there's, like, one, there's, like, a sheep costume that's, like, a floaty jump. You can, like, glide around with and, like, ride air currents. There's, like, a Crash bandicoot one where, like, in your jump is, like, a spin jump that, like, breaks boxes. There's, like, a spider one which allows you to, like, climb up walls. There's, like, a punching one that replaces your jump with a punch. There's one that allows you to, like, open certain doors. And basically, it becomes less of a platformer about just getting to the end and more about making sure you have the right costumes for the right scenario. Basically building your moveset around the costume instead of just kind of making it to the end. Which I don't know how many people really understood that as opposed to just thinking, oh, it's overly simple, I'm just going to play all the levels, and very cool. But the real thing about Bell and Wonder Wonderworld, which I feel like I am already kind of predicting, I'm predicting that the overall reception of Bell and Wonder Wonderworld is going to be mixed. I feel like there's going to be a lot of people that don't understand it. Because, like I said, it's a Yuji Naka game. They're pretty hard to understand at first. And I feel like a lot of people are going to dismiss it because of that. And I feel like because of that, it's probably going to have a moderately bad reputation on the internet. I think a lot of people are going to say, Eh, Balan was, it wasn't really that good. It really wasn't that good. I feel like a lot of people are going to be saying that. There are a lot of boring things. Like, there's, a, there's a, this dumb section where you have to, like, keep pushing... There's like this timing-based minigame you have to play in every level where you watch Balan break the same rock over and over again. I don't know what they were thinking with that. There are some bad parts about Balan Wonderworld, even though I have to admit.
0: Yes, uh, a good friend of mine played the demo, and he said yes. He didn't like how it was overly simple, but the art design, character design, the music's all there, as with any other Dark game. But he thinks the gameplay is not great.
1: Yeah. I don't think the gameplay is terrible but it's definitely simplistic but that's simple isn't entirely bad especially if the depth comes from just making sure you have the right costumes and you can build a surplus of costumes and the game doesn't tell you this but every checkpoint also can double as like a costume changing station so you can actually change your costume like loadout mid-level so you actually have everything originally i was like you can only really hold three costumes that kind of sucks especially if you need like more for one level you don't want to get rid of any. So, like, the freaking changing station at every checkpoint, really good addition. And the game literally doesn't tell you about it at all. You just had to, for some reason, be standing there and check the wardrobe that randomly shows up. And that if you stand on a checkpoint for too long, which no one would really do normally, so. But that's not the really weird thing about Bell Wonderworld. The really weird thing. And what really makes it a Yuji Naka game are the frickin' Tims. The frickin' Tims, dude.
0: The Tims?
1: The Tims! What are so, Yuji Naka, once again, has put a raising aspect in his video games. And it's sort of a mixture between how the chow work in Sonic and how the a life works in nights. so basically your hub world is known as like the tim tower or the tim forest the tims are little birds they're basically little bird guys right they're called tims for some reason they're just at first i was like okay i don't even know what the hell freaking these birds are okay they're tims cool whatever so as you play through the levels in bell and Wonderworld, you collect these little like crystal seed looking things these crystallic seed thing and these seeds carry with you whenever you finish the level and you can use these seeds there's like five different colors of seeds the game tells you this is pretty much all that the game tells you the game tells you oh okay you you can feed your you can feed your tims with these seeds and i'm like okay They sound like a mixture between Pikachu and Kirby. It's kind of funny. That's kind of like their sound that they make. So I threw everything I had into whatever the... I threw all my freaking things into the Tim forest. And all I could really immediately perceive from feeding them is they slowly change to be whatever color, whatever color seed you were feeding them. And I'm like, oh, okay. And then I noticed that they go into levels with you. You bring like five Tims with you to every level you go. And I just thought, like, oh, okay, it's probably just, like, some weird cosmetic thing, you know? You just carry around, like, a little, like, digital pet kind of thing. And you just have them at different colors, and, you know, that's kind of it. That was kind of what I expected. And then, randomly, as I was playing the demo, in the hub world, there's this weird counter thing. Game doesn't tell you what it's for. I didn't know what it was for. There's just this weird counter thing. And I'm just like, okay, cool. But it kept going up for some reason. I didn't know what was making it go up. I I thought it had to do with the Tim. I thought I just fed them enough. I thought is it that's like what a feeding them
0: time limit?
1: No, it's not a time limit. It goes up. It doesn't go down. There's constantly on the bottom right corner of the screen it's like side quest like build the Tim tower. And I'm like what <laughs> the hell is the Tim tower? <laughs> yeah. I'm like what the hell is the Tim tower? And then eventually like at one random point while I was playing the demo I was like you have the counter has gone up enough. You have the first part of the Tim tower and like this cutscene played where the base of the tower started to like fall in. And I'm like, cool, I don't know what I did to do that. But I sure did it. I uh, eventually did do everything that there was to do immediately from the demo. And I'm like, okay, well, that was Battle of Wonderworld. That's a pretty cool demo. I thought I understood the gist of it, right? Turns out, I had not understood the gist of it at all. Because one of my friends that was watching me as I was playing the demo, he was been playing the demo, and he played it for like 10 hours. He really wants to like... Bell in Wonderworld, and his original impressions were very negative, because Bell in Wonderworld makes a horrible first impression. He really wanted to see what sort of depth lied in Bell in Wonderworld, and then he found out that the Tim raising system is freaking complex as crap. So, apparently, let me see if I can bring this up. Yeah. Okay. So, look at this. I'm going to post this. You probably can't see it, but... They found out that there's, like, an entire color theory, like, color wheel of tim-raising. I just
0: laugh every time you say tims.
1: Tims. (laughs) Where basically feeding your tims certain colors will uh, change their color, which I was able to obviously perceive. But I didn't know what that did. And apparently, yeah, like, giving red tims will attack the other enemies... Pink Tim's will find uh will try to find collectibles and give them to you. And the blue tims will destroy crystal obstacles that you can't touch. And there there's like a whole there's a whole like sort of like subsystem here. And then also the counter is done. Apparently just by kind of idling in the Tim thing, they'll like move this wheel in the hub world for you. And that's what makes the counter go up. Which makes the Tim Tower grow. The game doesn't tell you any of that. And the fact that there's this much random bonus, like, content, and like, side, like, so many weird side mechanics that are 100% optional. They don't do anything. You can play the whole game without even knowing what the hell a Tim is. But the fact that it's there means that I feel like just like Sonic Adventure 1 and 2, or pretty much any other, or Knights, or any other Yuji Naka game, Battle of Wonderworld is going to probably be pretty mm, lukewarm to negatively received by the greater general public. Because, you know, there's a lot of people on the internet that are like, Sonic Adventure 1 and 2, they're actually terrible games, You people are just blinded by nostalgia, or uh, stuff like that, or, oh yeah, no, Sonic sucks, you know. But I feel like Val and Wonderworld is going to have a very small but passionate group of fans that will try to dissect all these weird inner theories and like all these weird inner mechanics and just try to dissect everything that has been put in the game for them. And I feel like that's very similar to the type of people that got into like child breeding or got into trying to figure out what the hell Knights' A-Life was all about. They're trying to 100% Billy Hatcher. I feel like like all of other Yuji Naka games, the sort of just weird, untold mechanics are what's gonna make this game have some semblance of a fan base. And I don't I don't know if Ballon Wonderworld is going to do well enough to warrant Square Enix keeping his little side gig in operation, but I hope It does, because for better or for worse, Bell in Wonderworld is definitely a Yuji Naka game, through and through. That's pretty much all I have to really say. Nice. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you've, uh, like, I haven't played the demo yet, but you seem to be much more optimistic about it than my friend was.
1: Oh, no, dude, there's so many people that are freaking, they're like, oh, this game sucks, but I don't blame them.
0: Uh, What else did he say? He said, uh, yeah, the game doesn't tell you anything. There's the secrets where Balan breaks rocks. He says, it's quirky and charming, but not very interesting.
1: Yeah. I feel like that's going to be the general opinion of Balan Wonderworld for a lot of people, I feel. I feel like I feel like a lot of people are gonna just think that way. They're gonna very, very justifiably so, mind you. Because like I said, if you Bell and world's only gonna it's only gonna give back what you put in. And if you just put in the same as any other game, you're gonna just be underwhelmed. You have to like really want to do everything in Bell and Wonderworld to get the most out of it. Which you could say is a pretty flawed game design, but it's how Yuji does it. It's just his style of game. It's just his style like, historically, it is his style of game. And it's, it's literally what my friend was showing me, that stupid Tim color wheel. It's when it all clicked. It's when it all clicked in me. It's when I realized oh my god this is what Yuji Naka games are. They are weird games that Tell you only enough for you to complete them, but don't give you the full story and leave it up to the fans and the people that really care to get the most out of the game. Which, like I said, could be, it's debatably bad game design, but if you're into it, then you're really into it. It's really, yeah, it's really the type of game where if you're into it, you're really into it. If you're not really into it, then you're gonna just dismiss it. I think
0: these days, people don't really have the time to like sink 300 hours into raising Chow or Tim's or what have you. There's too many other games that more immediately grab your attention.
1: That is true. That's why, again, I feel Battle in Wonderworld is probably gonna be dunked on pretty hard when it comes out. I am. I'm fearing the worst. I'm fearing the worst. I mean, I'm optimistic about it, but I'm fearing the worst. And I at least know that whatever freaking crazy fans that are gonna keep Battle Wonder Wonderworld alive and figure out all of its weird secrets, then they're gonna be happy. But that's a very, 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 very small minority of people that bought the game, you know? Or that are interested. Because, yeah, I feel like a lot of people don't have time for it, and they're not going to try to discover all the secrets, and that's that's understandable.
0: Okay, well, I guess we can come back to Battle of when it comes out and see.
1: Yeah! <laughs> well, it seems like already from, there's like another trailer, and my friend that showed me all this stuff really said that apparently, like, if you look at the Game Boy trailer, there's like, uh, you can see that I think they added a second button! I think they separated (laughs) the jump button from the uh, costume attack, or costume function button. So that's already a step in the right direction. And I think they said that plays a little, it looked like it ran a little faster. It looked like the the overall movement was a little faster. So I think they might be listening? I don't, I mean, obviously it comes out like, what, April? So it comes out the same day uh, Monster Hunter Rise does, which may or may not be...
0: I thought Monster uh, Hunter Rise was in March...
1: Um, was it? Well, which, if, it out, if it, I can't. It wrong? comes out the same day as Monster Hunter. So, if Monster Hunter's in March, then Battle Wonder Wonderworld's in March. Which, I mean, I don't know if that's going to be uh, suicide for Battle of Wonder World. Wonderworld. Well, I don't think. I it don't think, I don't well,
0: think well, the. I'm it up now. Oh, release
1: date March 26th. Well, then oh, that's right. when they both come out. I don't think it's going to be. I don't think Monster Hunter coming out the same day is going to be too bad for competition because it's I don't like like think the Monster Hunter games. fans are. <laughs> Yeah, are Balan Wonderworld fans. I don't think it's going to be like the same type of uh, suicide that was like freaking Horizon Zero Dawn coming out like roughly around the same time Breath of the Wild. and They're two pretty similar games.
0: Well, both me we and my friend are big Sonic fans and we both really like Monster Hunter as well. So there is some crossover.
1: <laughs> well, I guess. But I don't think a large major... I don't think it's going to be that bad. Plus, also, the Monster Hunter Rise fans are Switch owners. And I'm just going to tell you right now, if you're thinking about playing Bell and Wonder World on the switch, just don't just actually don't. <laughs> it's a really bad switch port it's one of those it's one of those cases where it's just the switch users be like it's portable though, uh where I've heard the frame rate sucks, the resolution sucks, it doesn't look or play good or run good. but I don't think the other because I played it on a stock PS4. I didn't play it on a PS4 Pro, and I definitely don't own a PS5. Um, so I didn't play the PS5 version of it, played the, uh, the stock PS4 version, and it seemed to run perfectly fine, but I have heard from everyone that played the Switch version, uh, of the demo, uh, to steer clear of that.
0: Mm. Yeah, I only have a base PS4 as well, and I had no trouble running Death Stranding, so.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, Death Stranding was really well-optimized. I do feel like standard PS4 hardware is decent enough for most modern games, as long as you don't care about getting the most graphical fidelity, and as long as whatever devs actually optimize their games and not pull a Cyberpunk, then it should be it should be fine. I'm feeling I'm probably going to get Battle Wonder World on stock PS4, and I do believe, I'm not sure if it comes with a PS5 version as well if you buy it on PS4, but if I ever do get a PS5 and I have the PS4 version, then like, hey, we'll get that too. If you're
0: gonna get a PS5, you should claim Control Ultimate on PS Plus this month so you can play it on PS5. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. I already, I already uh, claimed uh, Control Ultimate Edition. I've never actually played Control, but I've heard it's really good.
0: Mm-mm. Yeah, and Ghost of Tsushima runs fine on stock PS4 as well.
1: Yeah. Uh, because again, they actually optimized it for the weaker hard hardware, which is good! They should do that! Bad CD Projekt Red. That does make me wonder how much life the PS4 really has left, but I'm honestly not too upset if the PS4 generation starts, starts to wean out, because we are in the beginning of a new generation, so...
0: Well, even if... Even if we could buy a PS5 right now, There aren't really any games available. No,
1: there aren't. There aren't. That's kind of the problem. And that's kind of the problem that persists. I really have been um, sort of concerned about this current generation of video games. Or I guess this... I guess it's still... I still consider it the next gen of video games. Because have we really left the PS4 and Xbox One yet? Can we really... How many people really have PS5s and Series Xs? I don't know anyone who a Series X. Exactly. Which is actually funny because if I had the choice right now, if you literally gave me $500 and went PS5 or Series X, which one? I would go Series X. Um, I wouldn't actually... Yeah! For literally one reason and one reason only. And that is because the Xbox Series X... If I had the choice between immediate? Immediate usability. Like, what I would get the most immediate value out of? I don't have an Xbox One. None of the games on Xbox One except for Rare Replay interest me. And even then, Rare Replay, I already own all those games on N64, so that's not even that big of a sell. Everything else that was normally an Xbox One exclusive, I would rather get on PC anyways. However, the Xbox Series X If I did get one, I would literally just use it as a turbocharged Xbox 360.
0: (laughs) Um, Yeah, it also has Game Pass, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, it does have Game Pass, which is cool, and arguably it's the real exclusive of the Xbox. Because it's probably the best deal you can get in gaming, but I don't know. Game Pass is cool and all, but I feel like Game Pass would just exacerbate my already existing problem of, Dear God, there's too much to play. Because you get a lot. But, like, the thing is about Series X is I have an Xbox 360, and I have a lot of Xbox 360 games. And while the Xbox 360 backwards compatible, the compatibility, like, percentage isn't too high for 360 on uh, Series X, there are some games, like, the Series X is the one system that can run Sonic Unleashed on <laughs> a perfectly solid frame rate. Perfectly, it's the only way you can go through. What was it Adabat without any lag? Is if you play on Series X, and also the the loading is instantaneous on uh, all Xbox 360 games for uh, the Series X, which is awesome. Well, if Microsoft worked on improving and just increasing the compatibility on the Series X for Xbox 360 and original... Because they do have some original Xbox games, but it's like a few dozen. It's not a lot. If they expand on the backwards compatibility for Xbox 360 and the original Xbox on the Series X, I would totally take it over a PS5. Because the PS5 has nothing. At least the Xbox Series X has older games, but running and playing hella better. Basically, free remasters of games I already own.
0: Well, which let's is hope awesome. that in your hypothetical situation, you can get the Series X that has a disk drive.
1: Yeah, well, the, yeah, the Series X is the one that has a disk drive. The Series S doesn't. Um, so, yeah. Um, PS5? Well, just the weird thing about just new games is it seems like every new game right now is a cross gen thing right now mm. it seems like everything is like buy ps5 version or ps4 version or buy both ps4 version and get free ps5 version and it's just like do you really do we really need that i mean i guess i get that it's very pro consumer because it means hey you buy one game you get two you get it on all your systems but I feel it kind of devalues the need for a new console because it makes me, instead of thinking to myself, like, oh, if I get a PS5 and I buy a PS4 game, I get the PS5 version, too. It just makes me go, like, why would I need a PS5 if I'm if everything on the PS5 is going to be on the PS4, too?
0: Well, they just, as of a couple of days ago, announced Final Fantasy XIV was going to be ported to um, PS5, and they showed off... How incredible the load time is. It's like instantaneous. It's better than my computer. It's like, wow.
1: Yeah, that's definitely the real generational bump. Because usually we can determine generational bumps in video game history through graphics. This is the first time I feel we really can't tell through graphics. Well, I mean, unless you're first... unless you're a real sucker for ray tracing.
0: <laughs> for the last couple of generations, it seems like the graphical capability hasn't really gone up that much. Because it's hit like the ceiling, but yes, ray tracing. Amazing.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, like lighting and that kind of stuff. And reflections and ray tracing and all that jazz. They're going to be cool. But I definitely don't think that we're going to have like another moment in game graphics where it's like whoa where you can see the difference you know because that's really the big thing that most next gen uh every time it's a general generational leap in video games it's usually just like okay well you have a playstation 2 right but look at this playstation 3 game and you can see the difference right you can see how much better the ps3 game looks they're well, like, okay, yeah, here's your PS3 game. You can see how much better the PS4 game looks. This is kind of like you can see the PS4 game, and then you see the PS5 game, and you're like, okay, yeah, this one has cooler, this one's a higher resolution. This one uh, runs a little, it runs at 60 FPS. PS4 version runs at 30. the PS5, but like, screen, look at screenshots of two, and you're just like, yeah, it looks like a PS4 game.
0: Well, lighting and. Uh and reflections, and shadows go a long way towards realism. Like, if you watch a lot of corridor videos, they always say, like, you know, the thing that makes CG convincing is the lighting and the shadows, and uh, the skin (laughs) poor Yeah.
1: I definitely think that that's true, and I'd love to be wrong. Mm -hmm. I'd love to be like, I'd love to actually be able to see a PS5 game and be like, that's a PS5 game. That's something that can't be done on PS4. But to me, it seems like PS4 stuff already looks good enough. It seems like we, when it comes for video game power, I feel like PS4 and Xbox One is pretty much just like, you can make any video game you want on the PlayStation 4 and Xbox One and you'll have enough power to make that game.
0: Yeah, like, I'm just thinking of way back when the N64 came out, Mario... 64 looked amazing, but then Perfect Dark looked even more amazing. The actual proper graphic capabilities and capabilities on the console weren't made apparent until the end of the console's life. Whereas today, we have all these first-party, huge company studios making the best of the hardware out of the game.
1: Yeah, that is true. Especially if you look at stuff like... Look at an early PS3 title, look at, like, Genji, Days of the Blade, or whatever, the giant enemy crab game.
0: Heavenly Sword.
1: Yeah, like, Heavenly Sword, yeah. And, like, compare that to, like, Last of Us, something late in the PS3 life, and Last of Us looks hella better.
0: (laughs) Another example I think of occasionally is, I was gonna mention GameCube as well, but I couldn't think of an example and then I remembered Bounty Hunter, a GameCube launch title. If you look at it today, graphically, it looks terrible. Some of the Floors are just flat, text untextured, colored planes.
1: Wait, a launch title?
0: Wasn't it a launch title?
1: Like are you it talking about like Star early- Wars?
0: Yeah, it was an early title, wasn't
1: it? There was a Star Wars launch title for the GameCube, but that was Star Wars Rogue Squadron Bro- Rogue, Rogue Leader in yeah, that game. Right.
0: Hmm, kid- okay. Maybe it came a little bit later, but I do remember... It as yeah, being
1: Rogue a, Leader, uh... that game looked amazing.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, back to five, always blowing it out of the water with a graphics.
1: Yeah, might have been something else.
0: Okay, well, I wouldn't have thought that Bounty was a low-budget game, but I just remember loving it as a kid, and then looking bad as to be and be like, wow, that looks terrible.
1: It's kind of funny, though, that, like, uh, the GameCube launched one of its best-looking games with Rogue Leader. <laughs> And then, well, I'm not, the GameCube... Later GameCube titles, like, Twilight Princess look good. Mm-mm, yep. Yeah. Or, like, yeah, I guess you could compare it, like, with the Wii. Like, a Wii launch title, or just, like, any Wii shovelware, obviously, it'll make the system look weak. But if you look at, like, Skyward Sword, or Brawl, or... But,
0: again, those are first-party Party Galaxy titles.
1: Galaxy Yeah, well, yeah.
0: It's not like with the N64, where the best-looking games were third-party titles.
1: Yeah. Well, the problem about N64 is things looked good; they didn't run very well. Like Perfect Dark looked good, but the frame rate. Yeah, it had that Everything on N64, you couldn't
0: even run on the hardware.
1: Yeah, N64 games, all of them ran awfully. It's funny how some of them use the expansion pack to increase the resolution, and because it increases the resolution, it just makes it look war. It makes it run worse. (laughs) Like the frame rate gets worse then without the expansion pack and it's just like oh geez oh geez
0: we should concluding thoughts uh i guess we're gonna In... follow up on chow at balan wonderworld because we were gonna do a chow over the episode at some point
1: absolutely at yeah, chow I, we scratched the freaking surface dude and then yeah when balan wonderworld event inevitably comes out and when i inevitably get it i don't know if i'm gonna get it at launch again because I'm poor, but I will get it eventually.
0: We mostly focused on Yuji Naka, but now to yeah. Oshima, I, what is he doing these days? He's on Twitter, I'm aware of that.
1: Right now he's working with Yuji Naka on Val and Wonderworld, of mm. course. But before that, he mostly worked at his own company called Arzest, which kind of just made Hey Pikmin and Yoshi's New Island.
0: Which we don't talk about.
1: Very sad fate for the character designer Sonic the Hedgehog. Which is also why I hope Battle of Wonderworld does well, so that they can actually make more Sonic Teamy stuff and not be slaves to Nintendo. (laughs) But yeah, also concluding thoughts on the whole console stuff. I just feel like, in order for me to actually care about next-gen stuff, you gotta, they gotta drop the whole cross-buy stuff. And I know, not because, not because they should be less consumer-friendly. More because they just got to stop. In order for the next gen to really prosper, you have to let go of the previous gen. And for people like Xbox, people like Xbox. For companies like Xbox to uh, say, like, we're going to continue supporting the Xbox One for the next two years of the Series X's life or whatever they said. It just means, like, okay, so then why would I ever want to buy a Series X if every game coming out for the next two years is going to be also on the Xbox One? And also it means that it, it keeps the newest titles, like, held back in a way. Because it means that everything still has to be available to be ran on a hardware from six years ago or seven years ago. Yeah, it's like... Just kinda- Holds the whole thing back.
0: Again, using Final Fantasy 40 (laughs) as the example, they cut PS3 support recently, and...
1: That doesn't surprise me.
0: That enabled them to add way more stuff.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like, you gotta, in order for you to actually use the new technology, you have to let go of compatibility with the later, with the earlier technology. Which sucks, and that's why backwards compatibility should exist, and that's why it does exist with all of our current I don't know. I just it just seems less like a new generational leap, and it looks it just PS5 and Series X just feel like the Xbox or not the Xbox, the PlayStation 4 Pro Pro. Just hmm. feels like another jump. Well I, don't I guess know.
0: I guess that's just because as we said, you know I'm sure the hardware's cool, but games haven't really developed technologically as much over the past 10 years as they did the previous 10 years.
1: Yeah, that, and I feel like the only real game, so far it seems like the only real game that feels like it could only be run on PlayStation 5 is that Ratchet and Clank game, because <laughs> they literally designed the game around how fast it loads, and just made it so that you teleport From one world to the next seamlessly using the fast loading. And like that's the kind of stuff. That's the kind of stuff that would get me excited. And it doesn't have to be like crazy stuff. Like obviously pushes the hardware like that. Just show that you're using it. If it's not by using it visually. Like show it. Load some stuff real fast. I want to see. I want to see. A new Sonic game. That takes advantage of the fast loading. Because it's exactly... Like, that's what Sonic was built for! It was going fast! And now it won't lag because of the load, actually, fast enough for to keep up with Sonic! You know?
0: What we've wanted for 30 years.
1: <laughs> exactly! But, I feel like hmm. a new modern Sonic... I mean, it's probably gonna still suck because it'll be made by Sonic Team, and they can't make good games to save their life. Currently. Not, not, not historically, but currently, I mean... So far, Sonic Team's current track record recently, has been Sonic Forces and Sheen Sakura Wars, which are both heavy dingers.
0: I don't have the same there. sort of shut-down-everything mentality as you. I mean, yes, we know that consoles hold things back. It has been so for many years. But also, at the same time, nobody can get a next-gen console now. There's a no, yeah, 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 yeah. Shortage. I mean, it's
1: fine. <laughs> it's fine now, right? No, it's fine now to keep a hold of it, but not like a... The, two years is way too long. Two years down the line, no one's going to be playing PS4 Xbox one right Well,
0: that's the hope isn't it
1: hopefully by then there'll be enough like obviously right now you want to because in every generational leap there's still some support for the previous for the previous owners but it usually only lasts about a year and then they kill the old hardware and bring it on the next so right now it makes sense but for people to be like oh yeah here's the next latest title for the playstation 5 Grand Theft Auto Five, baby, it's coming to PS Five. Woo! Like that's not exciting. I think we have that.
0: Maybe it's because there's nowadays more of a conversation about preservation of hardware and games. What do you think?
1: Then go back further. (laughs) Then go back further. Why are we? Why are we only stopping at PS Four? PS Three support, please. PS Two support. PS One. PS Four. Wouldn't
0: PS. Three when it originally come out had full back compatibility,
1: and then what they didn't it did, it did in the next, maybe. it did, mm. it did. The original models, of the PS3, literally had PS2 hardware on them, so you could play any PS2 game on there, and PS3 also the PS1 emulator, so you but could I play any PS1 game. But I guess it was PS1 too expensive. Five ninety
0: nine US dollars. Five hundred and
1: ninety nine Ridge Racer.
0: Ridge Racer. <laughs> How many years uh, has it been? <laughs>
1: Um, but the PS3, doing PS3 back-compat, I would understand them not being able to do that, but of what I've heard, the PS4 actually has, like, for a long time, they've had a, the PS4 has had, like, a really good PS2 emulator on it Hmm. that you can't really use, and not a lot of games really were ported to the PS4, I believe because of Sony's mandation that every PS4 game has trophies. And making... Putting trophies on a PS2 game is apparently really hard. So that's why not a lot of PS2 games are using their actually really good PS2 emulator on the PS4. Mm-hmm. Why they can't just make it so that you put a PS2 game in the disk drive and it goes, I don't know. But I'm no hardware engineer, and I'm sure Blu-ray lasers probably can't be that good at reading DVDs. Especially really old ones. and Because that's basically the X, or the series X does it's backwards compat. It literally just reads the disc, and once it reads the disc, it just downloads the game from the Microsoft Store. It doesn't actually read anything off the disc, which is lame. Plus, also if it read off the disc, then like that would involve loading, and our current generation is about getting rid of the idea of loading.
0: Okay, well let's leave it there. Ridge
1: Racer. Ridge Racer.